Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which looks at the stories behind the food from our favourite A-list food writers. I'm Julie Smith and I'm linking the thinking about what we eat and who we are to create a deeper connection with food. This week I'm with chef Rob Howell, whose book Root tells the story of one of the new stars of the Bristol sustainable food scene. Root, the restaurant, comes from the stable of Josh Eggleton, a long-time advocate of the Field to Fork movement at the Michelin-starred Pony and Trap, where Rob was head chef. And Josh is also co-founder of Eat Drink Bristol Fashion Festival, which promotes the importance of food sustainability and became the first ever festival to receive a gold standard catering mark from the Soil Association. So many people um, that care about what they're doing um, and have a real sense of well just just everything community like produce um an understanding of really yeah want to do everything they can it's not just the michelin star restaurants it's it's everything in between from street food to that kind of michelin star restaurant and i feel like bristol hits the um hits the note every time kind of thing root is one of the cool new restaurants in whopping Wharf's box park style shipping container village and when i spoke to rob it had just opened again after the winter lockdown he told me what that looks like. Um, sh- shipping containers um, all put together. There's like two sections, um, cargo one, cargo two, and it is made of a, a massive array of of florists to um, to wine bars, to restaurants, to, to barbers, um, just to nice shops, to be honest. And um, yeah, it's right by the harbour side behind the M shed. And it's, it's just a real special place to be, um, well, any time of day, but especially now it, it feels it feels great to see people back enjoying the space. And of course, for so many people to be flocking as soon as we're allowed to come and eat roots, eat plants, is tells the whole story of what's happening in Bristol. So let's unpack that. First of all, Root turned overnight from Chicken Shed uh, to a plant-based restaurant. Didn't tell anyone about it, didn't make any great hoo-ha about it, just it came out of Josh not being able to get enough good stuff. Getting good chicken is really hard for people who really care about provenance. Tell us about that, because you were there, you've been with Josh through the whole journey. Yes. So he opened, I was at the Pony and Trap at the time. Um, so out in Tune Magna, which I, I was there for about six years or seven years in total. Um, he opened, when Cargo first opened, he went there and he'd always, in Bristol, we've got a chicken shop uh, called Miss Millie's, um, which is kind of like a KFC kind of style thing. Um, and he, he kind of wanted to do his own take on that, just celebrating proper British, um, like free range organic chickens at their best from chicken salads to to roast chicken to everything in between um what it ended up being was just the supply of of chickens was very difficult um the actual idea of of frying this high welfare chicken that because the skin was a lot thicker the fat was a lot a lot heavier it it wasn't actually what what people wanted and in the end people weren't willing to the comparisons were only these places like KFC, which is a lot cheaper. And so unfortunately it didn't go the way as planned. Um, and then he was like, let's change it. He, he kind of, he knew it wasn't working and came to me. I was looking for my own restaurant at the time. And he said, I've got an idea to change it to vegetables. What do you think? And we sat down and I, I kind of wrote a proposed menu and he said, yeah, like it's yours kind of get go for it. So, um, we we closed on the Saturday night chicken shed 
um, and went got straight in the kitchen. And I think we opened Monday night at five o'clock, and kind of people turned up for for chicken. And um, yeah, it was no, it was a very good night. It was a very good. And night. nobody batted an eye really because the quality was there. And and that's what that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously, like the word got out then, and it was um, it kind of went for there. We still, I think, for the first year. We still had people turning up saying, can I get a like a chicken burger and kind of walking into the restaurant? But um, no, that's that's ended now, which is nice. So everyone knows we're about vegetables. Yeah. Bristol is really quite an extraordinary place, isn't it? You've got Tom Hunt's Poco um, leading the way in changing sustainable practice and making it utterly delicious and, and really uh, making it part of the national conversation. Josh was really at the forefront of that a a long time ago. Tell us a little bit about Josh Eggleton and the Pony and Trap and where we are now with the Pony. Um, So I joined in 2012, I think, the Pony and Trap. So they got their star in 2009. Um, Josh opened the Pony and Trap. I can't remember when. I think it was 2006. Yes. So he it all happened quite quickly. He was he was only 22 when he first opened it. Um they opened it up uh with Holly front of house's sister and it started off as they'd have lasagna on the menu. It was very much kind of they tried to uh, like keep it simple and it just kind of grew and grew like root is now as such the difference in four years of a restaurant when you're when you're learning and you're growing is is unbelievable so i think they started off with that same process and went from there and it just naturally evolved and the bigger the team came when i joined there was we'd have four of us in the kitchen um and yeah he's self-taught and it ended up kind of turning from this kind of village pub to to a michelin star restaurant in 2009 and when you joined as head chef you retained that michelin star and that sort of says a lot about where what kind of food you're cooking um and we'll go into your journey in a minute but just before we do um just to say that you know the pony is a symbol of that bristol uh ethical attitude to eating it's now turned into um you know a gardening club it's all about fermentation and foraging tell us about the restaurant scene in bristol it's just in the last 10 years um completely changed so i grew up in in somerset um moved away um quite quick when i was 18 i moved straight to london to work there and and did a few bits in between um and i was looking at moving closer to home and i remember googling best restaurants in bristol because i was like where where should i kind of where should i aim for and at the time there was only a few that kind of popped up um so and i remember i knew the pony and trap because it's basically in between where i grew up and bristol so i went straight for uh, giving josh a call but in the last 10 years it's just every year on year these restaurants open but the quality is just it's always there it's never like there's so many people um that care about what they're doing um and have a real sense of well just just everything community like produce um and understanding and really yeah want to do everything they can but it's amazing it's not just the michelin style restaurants it's it's everything in between from street food to that kind of michelin style restaurant and i feel like bristol hits the um hits the note every time kind of thing 
Yeah, absolutely. And baking bread came out of Josh's um, ideology as well during COVID to, um, you know, to really boost with pop ups, the, the hospitality sector. There's loads and loads of going on and that underpins everything that's going on at Root. Yeah. yeah. So just, you know, whizzing through your journey, you went to catering college and you then went to work at Goodfellows under Adam Fellows and then to work with French chef Pascal Proyard. Tell us before we go into your first food moment about that moment when you're with Pascal and you're watching the Italian chef cooking leftovers for a staff dinner and you had that real eureka moment I think we we used to have 12 chefs in the kitchen I was the youngest by far um and it was daunting I used to get up for work about half five I'd get into the kitchen at at seven o'clock and just kind of head down and do what I was told um but I just remember watching watching everyone and just being completely blown away by by how people handled food, by their knowledge, by yeah, just everything. And there was uh, quite a few Italian chefs in the kitchen, and they just knocked together this star food with some scraps of of red mullet, and and they made the pasta. We had a massive pass, and they made the pasta on the pass. Um, it was just those simple ingredients turning it into something so special. And I'd kind of never tasted food like that before. That that really, um, like pasta, just like you've never tasted. And I was, yeah, completely blown away. Um, actually, at the time, I remember thinking I wanted to go work. Um, in an, I, I bought loads of Italian cookbooks after that and wanted to become like a pasta chef. But that was, yeah, I went through a lot of phases in my in my career, I'd say. But no, it was outstanding. Yeah. And then you went to, you went to Ondine in, in Edinburgh, but it was at the Epicurean um, back in your home base where it was almost like a circular journey back to the, your holidays. You used to go to northern France, to the markets of northern France, and where you saw that produce, the the quality of the ingredients, the great flavours and great cooking is really all about. Is that what happened at the Epicurean? Tell us about that. It, it was outstanding. The the, the quality of, of produce around you, um, and the understanding of of where where it all comes from, and watching they have a, the, the gardener there, Mark, um, who who runs the walled garden. I remember the moment where um, he brought in some leeks, and I'd watched these leeks grow, and I was thinking these leeks have been here. And I said, "When did you plant these?" And it, it was in the summer, and it was like October, and they'd been growing for six months. And he'd nurtured them throughout these months. And I think, how is it even possible that it costs this little for someone doing so much work? And leeks are one of those things that in many kitchens will sit there, rot, and be chucked in the bin, and it's fine because it's just a leak. And that was kind of that moment of, of understanding where you, you can't waste anything. Yeah. Um, and that everything is so special, and every, that flavour comes from nurture. Yeah, let's yeah. go into your first food moment then. I mean, you know, something so simple as cashew and chickpea hummus with raw vegetables or crudités. You know, that's all about produce, isn't it? Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so it, it kind of first few moment. It, it was the kind of the same principle as what we were talking about the, the understanding of produce um, in a restaurant. I always find these. Um, you look at restaurants and you get these words thrown around of sustainability and 
and produce driven and, and seasonal menus and it's very easy to say these words but I think this the moment in, in route where it'd been open a couple of years of, of actually understanding the difference between finding produce and and we use these growers Sam and Becky who used to run a restaurant um in in Bristol called Birch which is one of my all-time favorite restaurants um and they they sold it up they now make cider as wilding cider um and they grow a very small amount of produce now um and were lucky enough to use them and they would bring this produce in and obviously in a in a kitchen you get excited about your fish your meat and oh wow look how big this scallop scallop is i remember the moment where he brought in some some peas um some sugar snap peas some some cauliflowers it was some radishes and it had just been picked and we we stood around the back of the kitchen during service and tasted them and it, it was just another like kind of eureka moment it sounds very um <laughs> um but it, it was unbelievable and i thought you can't i can't do anything to this to make it taste any better than it does in that moment so we kind of washed as washed it um as much as needed put them in the fridge and made this made this hummus and and we had to serve it and i don't think people maybe it's not people's number one why would you go to a restaurant and serve raw vegetables but they're just it it had to be had like that and and it was the brilliance of then learning that well you can't just order vegetables the next day from another company and do the same dish because it, it won't be the same so the dish only lasted the night we sold it and then moving on we we did something else and just that understanding of you can't always recreate these things with anything it need you need to work around your produce and that's what we kind of do do now and we've learned to do that which is yeah it, and it's extraordinary it's so simple and you know alice waters sort of you know created that whole revolution in in food when she came back from paris in in the 1970s when she's just a you know gap year kid and it was that moment where she picked up a, a vegetable in a Parisian market and had that same moment and, yeah. and you know, created this revolution. It's quite extraordinary. Your second food moment is pretty much that, isn't it? It's, it, it's again, it's about a beetroot. It's about picking up this extraordinary vegetable and saying, OK, wow, how can this be? This inspire me. Tell us about the second yeah. food moment. Um, the food moment's the beetroot dish, which is like, we call it like blackberries, hazelnuts and beetroot. So it, it, it's the, the idea of, it's been on the menu since day one in a form. Um, it's changed through the years with, with our, with my cooking, with the, with the, with the team's cooking and with root as a whole, I think. Um, it kind of sums us up, which is it taking a, a vegetable and trying to to make it interesting, do something slightly innovative, um, and then actually making a tasty dish out of it, which is kind of the number one priority. Um, so we we ferment we ferment some, which uh, which is absolutely delicious. Um, we grate it, salt it, leave it out um, for five to seven days submerged in its own juice. And then with the beetroot, it, you end up with this like jam, jam like beetroot, which is like sweet, salty. Um, it's absolutely delicious. Um, and then we, we roast the beetroots in their skin, um, and serve it with some blackberries, um, and, and the hazelnuts. Um, 
and, and then we pickle some as well. And yeah, and the, the, yeah, so seaweed oil as well. Um, and it was just the understanding when we first started doing it, we would we would cut the beetroot perfectly. We would we would cut little pickled discs out of it and, and stack them up on on paper and kind of make a little tian as such. And now it's very much we, we there's no wastage in it. it. It's all natural and it's not thrown on the plate because that sounds bad, but it's just that evolution of of I don't know. You don't. I've kind of gone past. The food looks nice because it's natural, and I've kind of gone towards that almost river cafe style of food and um yeah that that's kind of what i aspire to now rather than that background of of like michelin food which i do love and it, it has its place but for me i i don't aspire to that anymore i've kind of got different priorities as such in my food i think but you're still um, layering the kind of flavors and you're giving really wow ideas to people if I mean, I look through your book and I think, well, this is what I would do if I were going to do a really posh dinner party for people yeah. that, you know, and just wow them with and say this is purely plant based and they won't ever have had anything like it. No, definitely. What the book I t- try to just show what is it's not like, oh, I'll come home. Like there is some dishes in there that you can knock up out of the pantry, I'd like to think. Um, my mum's cooked about 15 dishes out of the book now on her own and she sends me a message and it's brilliant and I I love I I wanted to create a book in which that could happen Mm. but at the same time as in I've literally I'm stood I'm sat next to all my books now throughout my career books definitely made me into the chef I am today that understanding that insight into someone's someone's mind and and how they do it um, so I wanted to be able to give that knowledge of, of what I've learned and how I uh, treat these vegetables, which it doesn't mean you might cook the exact dish out of the book, but hopefully it will lead on to going, oh, well, that's an interesting way of doing it. Um, and like platforms for layers in dishes kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And your third food moment is a, is a, about addressing. Um, I mean, you talk about it, it's the cod with gem lettuce, pancetta and and hazelnut dressing but you you chose the third food moment because of the dressing didn't you yes so this was a dressing so i started off um in the kitchen i when i was at college i went into goodfellows in wales which at the time was aa restaurant of the year um two rosettes adam had just come from a michelin having a michelin star in charlton house um and it was like wow to me then kind of um so i went in and asked for a summer job and i uh, yeah they took me straight on and I, I went straight in there and this i had a little i've got it somewhere i've got a notebook and i kind of <laughs> i stuck like like three stars on the front of it i'd, I'd printed out a gordon ramsay quote i think and it was i was a proper little like i just loved chefing and it was kind of everything to me then um and i went in and this was the first recipe i wrote down in this book and i just uh, I, we still use it to this day in the kitchen um so i just love the idea that some things just don't get old some food doesn't age or you go oh that looks silly now or it, it's just about like classic 
like yeah just just flavors that work and they work with anything and this dish is is special in a sense of as in a goodfellows was a seafood restaurant i worked at um 101 which was a, a seafood restaurant and then went luckily enough worked at ondine up in edinburgh um and i didn't really know it at the time but their their ethics of 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 using the fish they do and the way they treated it was just the best uh teachings i could have had without even knowing kind of thing um and the sustainability behind it of these day boat fish or of using the seasons um and getting the best possible um fish and shellfish it was just a pure luxury so now i i absolutely love cooking fish we still have fish on the menu and um this dish is kind of a yeah a, a nice summary of like almost everything i've learned through the restaurants yeah. um I, I was lucky enough to work with nathan outlaw as well i did some stages at his restaurants when i was i think 16 yeah. i went down to rock before he got two stars at his restaurant um in the st endoc hotel and i remember him saying why would you he, b- he bakes a lot of fish and he kind of said why would you want the fish to taste of anything rather than the fish yeah. he said why would you baste it in in loads of butter and make it taste like butter when it, it's so beautiful and I, I i kind of now love that concept and work with that so most of the fish in the restaurant is simply baked in an oven um yeah and i absolutely love it yeah it's all about understanding where the ingredients come from really respecting it their journey to the plate and then giving them an opportunity to speak for themselves that's that's what great cooking is isn't it definitely yeah definitely your fourth food moment is about nostalgia it's about the impact of really spending your wonderful holidays with your parents in northern france the market yeah yes um yeah at the time i I don't think i in fact like writing this book i don't think i realized what an impact almost those holidays had 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 on on my like food my outlook on food and maybe where i I wouldn't have actually gone into what i'd done without those those holidays um yeah we used to get the ferry over to the north of france my mum was scared of flying (laughs) and um yeah so we'd drive up to dover and go over to calais and we wouldn't go too far three the i have a brother and a sister in a tiny car we'd pack up and we wouldn't drive too far because we'd be screaming the whole way basically so we kind of (laughs) made our way through northern france and and Brittany, normandy and we've kind of done a lot of it now and now we go as adults we go back well when we when we could and hopefully we will very soon um but just it was all about food we'd get there unpack uh dad would already have planned and looked at the map to see where the local markets were we're going here on tuesday here on thursday in between we'd go to the supermarches and just spend hours looking at like the incredible like their supermarkets still to this day is it's like my favorite thing to walk around um and just you can spend hours especially now with with enjoying alcohol and looking at their wines it adds an extra hour on for sure um (laughs) so the holidays just revolved around that and going to these markets and and seeing this produce and yeah obviously back when we were young i didn't cook much of it but when i was started to cook and i'd go over and we'd buy some scallops and 
even when I when when I was like four, fifteen, sixteen, and I'd try and open these scallops and kind of have no clue, and it's kind of gone from there. And this yeah. this this dish, uh, the brownie, a very simple classic, but um, it was one of those ones. We went to a little uh, a restaurant kind of grill, and we had this kind of we're all a bit like daunted by this we can't really speak french we obviously do our best but not very well um with three young kids and they sat us down and gave us this salad and we kind of turned our nose up but it was just beautifully dressed in in that classic french kind of dijon vinaigrette we wolfed it down um had our main course and then for dessert they bought these brownies and this is just my um kind of take on that brownie of of pure indulgence um and just something simple that kind of that reminiscent yeah of of these holidays that uh, we just talk about to this day still which is which is amazing that food food can do that and that's the the beauty of of all of it um through everything of enjoying the food of of where the produce it comes from the people you meet but the fact that you can just go on for years talking about these these moments of where you were and you remember every single aspect of it is is so special yeah and it's interesting because you know to go right back to the beginning you know bristol feels like it's already in the 22nd century it's so far for it's forward thinking in terms of you know, sustainability and, and flavour and, and bringing it all together in a really delicious offer. France, not so. Very stuck in its ways. Um, it's still just the same as it always was, which, you know, is is wonderful in many ways. But, you know, the clotted cream, for example, the masses of butter that you're using in the in the brownie. How do you square that with what you're doing with the plants? Where's the sustainability message in there? Do you use high welfare dairy? We use Chew Valley Dairy. So it is literally on our doorstep again. We try and use um, cheese wise. We've got um, a cheesemonger down at Wapping Wharf, Bristol cheesemonger, Rosie. She's absolutely amazing. So she only uses British cheeses um, and she is uh, outstanding on every level. Um, She goes to all of the all the dairies herself to pick up most of the, the, the cheese and stuff. Um, so we use her for any kind of aspects of, of cheese we're putting on a dish. Um, and then we have a few, um, like friends, suppliers. Uh, we have one in Umbly, same in this two Valley and, and they produce cheese, um, use cheese, which we use very heavily, um, on our menu. Um, we try, uh, we, we don't actually cook with that much butter anymore milk we kind of stay away from it we get a lot of of vegans in which is great and we've kind of learned along the way to the the base of all of our food is basically vegan and we 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 add if we want to which means that most people most vegans like our whole menu is pretty much vegan which is always a good place to start yeah i mean that is the point isn't it about you've got a very interested activist uh, millennial crowd in bristol who are demanding better food they're demanding better flavor they're demanding a better attitude and it's a wonderful relationship isn't it between chef and customer where you're both pushing the no thinking. definitely and i think i have that that side of bristol and those people being there has made an impact on how we cook at the restaurant which i think is a positive thing like we still do what we want 
in the sense of like we will cook with butter we will have fish in the menu if there is a meat that we want to serve and we feel is is correct we will but also they've i've completely changed the way i cook day to day because of those people coming into the restaurant which i think is is a really nice way of of how it works it's it's a two-way thing where they're they're teaching me i'm still doing what i love but it's actually made a very positive impact on on the whole thing and like like we said we served about 600 customers this week it's a great thing to to know that most of those customers ate solely vegan food when probably 80 percent of the or even 90 percent of them are not vegans but they still loved it and it's a that finding that balance of 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 enjoyment indulgence and and kind of vegan vegan food is is a nice balance to be able to hit i think Thanks for listening. You can buy Root by Rob Howell and all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and I'll see you next week when I'm talking to Syrian cook Anas Atassi about food from the old country in his book Sumac. Sumac.